0: Welcome to the Garden Path Podcast. I'm your host, Misty Little. This is season two, episode 10. Today's guest is Linda Lee, also known as Garden Buddy, writer of the popular blog GardenBuddy.com. She not only gardens, but she's a cookbook author and outdoor enthusiast. I've been following her blog for over five years now after coming across a post about carrot tops and if they were edible. I was doing a little research to see if I could use the carrot tops in a smoothie. So it turns out carrot tops are edible in addition to many other plants that have more parts that are edible than maybe what we Already know, and Linda covers those on her blog in many different posts, and so I was kind of hooked from her blog from then on. Linda has written the CSA Cookbook, which delves into some of those topics, and her new cookbook, the New Camp Cookbook, will be published in July. I had Linda on the show because I was really enamored with her wonderful garden and her hiking adventures, and wanted to pick her brain a little bit about her lush oasis in South- Southern California. If you enjoy this episode, Could you take a few minutes to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher? Um, If this is your first time listening to the podcast, or if you've never gotten around subscribing, it'd be awesome if you could hit the subscribe button so you can get a fresh episode delivered to your feed whenever a new episode drops. There are only about three, maybe four episodes left of this season, and then I'll be on hiatus uh, for the summer and early fall. So if you subscribe um, and the season goes on hiatus, you'll know when... Season three drops sometime in November. Uh, Don't forget, the podcast book club is Reading the Secret Garden, and we will be discussing that early May sometime, so if you want to get a jump on that, you have several weeks to read through that, and I'll be discussing that with previous podcast guest Elizabeth. As always, I'm on Instagram and YouTube, and you can email me at thegardenpathpodcast at gmail.com and drop by the website, thegardenpathpodcast.com, for show notes. Happy gardening, and hope you guys are enjoying spring.
1: All right, well, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. If you could go ahead and introduce yourself and kind of let everybody know who you are and where you garden and, I guess, how long you've been gardening.
2: My name is Linda Lee, and I have a blog at gardenbuddy.com. I live in zone 10B in a fishing village just outside of Los Angeles, and I have been gardening for seven years here on my little urban homestead. Wow,
1: just seven years? It seems like so much longer based on everything I've been reading from your blog.
2: It does. Time flies. (laughs)
1: Um, Well, A, just because of your expertise and knowledge uh, as well, what you have um, compiled, is just kind of crazy to think it's only been seven years
2: it has but I'm fortunate because I have a fairly large lot for living in the city I'm on a quarter acre and so when you do have the space it helps you experiment a lot more rather than being confined to like one raised bed or a container garden right right so I've learned a lot <laughs> So
1: you're in a quarter acre, um, I guess kind of give us a walkthrough, like how you've designed your, your gardens in your yard. Are you mostly confined to the backyard or are you off-expanded to the front yard? How, how's your setup?
2: Well, the, most of the garden was actually already assembled when I moved into this property. So the previous owners had installed a lot of raised beds on their own. And we had, um, or we have about a dozen mature fruit trees. So, as far as what I have personally done to the garden, I've just added a lot more growing space and a couple of more trees. so we technically don't have a backyard. the entire property is our yard because the entire property is fenced okay um, so that gives us a lot of room to put um, a vegetable garden, we have a separate herb garden, we have an area for the chickens to roam um, a place for their coop we have a few different composting areas. We have lots of different fruit trees just scattered around the property. And then we have a whole section that's just my container plants and my container citrus. Okay.
1: Um, and so your 10 B your the container citrus are, is that because of protection or is it more like just as an ornamental kind of thing?
2: They are must well, they're ornamental in that we have them around um, a courtyard with a fire Okay. Plant. and so we like to put them down there just um, for color. And because we're renting right now, we would love to take those citrus trees with us when we eventually move.
1: Oh, so it's so is that even like your permanent forever garden? Then
2: it's not my forever garden, and I cannot wait to move someplace where I can have a forever garden because I have all of these visions of what I want to do and how I would design something. So what I have right now is, it really is my playground. I've cobbled together so many different styles and ideas, and it's a little bit chaotic. It's cool. (laughs) (laughs) But my dream is to start from scratch, like a blank slate, and then just, you know, put everything out there. (laughs)
1: Right. Oh, man. I can't imagine, because I really thought it was like your forever garden, Uh, just because of how lush it is and how much you've done with it. Um, that's just crazy.
2: <laughs> it and it's hard to draw a balance sometimes between how much I want to do here in this space, knowing that it's not the forever garden versus right at the same time, I want it to be enjoyable and to be a true sanctuary. Right.
1: Of course. Um, I guess what, what made you decide to, to just go ahead and kind of go all out with what you're doing with there? Since you know, you are renting, Um, I mean, in the past, for me, we've stuck to containers and moving pots from apartment to townhouse to house kind of places. Um, You know, for me, that would have been hard, but I guess you were okay with that.
2: Well, gardening is actually an accident for me. (laughs) Prior to the seven years that I've been gardening, I actually could not keep an herb alive on my windowsill. I lived in lofts in the downtown area, so I had a lot of herbs um, on a fire escape and on a windowsill and was never really into it. And when we started looking for a house, it was basically just so I could have a yard for my dogs to run around in. Mm -hmm. And this house that we found, the property, we found it by just sheer luck. And when I came to visit, I was just wanting a space that had enough room for maybe a barbecue, some table and chairs, you know, a small patch of grass. That's what's more common in LA. Right. But I walked onto this property, into this huge, like, Garden of Eden, and, and it was very intimidating. Um, but we loved the location. We loved the charm that the whole property had, and so we moved in. And so I fell into gardening because of this house. You know, wow. I, I <laughs> like I actually did not go into the garden for maybe the first two weeks that we moved in because I had no idea what to do. They had planted a summer garden um, when we got here. And once we were here, the owners were like, okay, well, enjoy. <laughs> enjoy this is yours now. And they just were growing like two foot long zucchini and... A dozen tomato plants, and had no idea what to do. Like, are these ripe yet? When do we pick them? What do I do with this? Is everything going to turn brown and die? And that's really when I got started into managing the garden. I um, decided to create a blog because it was my garden diary in the beginning, and I wanted to show all of my friends, and my family, what I was doing because nobody had their own garden at that time. So, Hmm. It it's really evolved a lot in the last few years. Yeah. I, I never
1: would have guessed that <laughs> how that would have came to about, but I guess we'll
2: start somewhere. Yeah.
1: So um it, it sounds like it is kind of a good mix of edibles and ornamentals with a lot of our you know the bare bones the bones have already been set with the garden. Yes. Um and I guess, so has your husband help you a lot or has it been mostly you?
2: He helps a lot. We both work from home. So we have a lot of time that we can devote to the garden. Um, he's actually the one who does a lot of the heavy lifting and <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> heavy picking and the hauling bags of compost and soil for me. <laughs> Definitely understand. I hate this, you know, Hey, like, so he does, he does quite a lot in the garden. Um, what I do is basically a lot of the seed sowing, the planting, um, cleaning out the beds, preparing the beds, a lot of transplanting and watering, things like that. Okay.
1: Do you have a dedicated space for seed starting or you just start st- so straight into the, into the beds?
2: I don't have a dedicated space unless you call the bay window in my kitchen a dedicated space. <laughs> so I start, if I do start seeds inside, which I have um, about two dozen varieties started inside right now, then I start them all in the bay window because they can go outside pretty soon after they sprout. And um, I do direct sow a lot of edibles just because we have such mild weather year round. So I right. do. All right. So what are your favorite edibles to grow that you've found? Um, Well, currently for summer, I'm all about tomatoes and cucumbers. (laughs) So tomatoes is very hard for me to narrow down what to grow. And usually I will be growing between six to 12 different varieties, a couple plants each, and that fills a pretty large part of my garden. Um, I always look for interesting colors i don't know why i'm it's not like i'm anti-red but i like to look for something other than red because red is so easy to find you know at the farmer's market or at the store and so i'm always going after these strange purple or blue or white or yellow tomatoes or striated tomatoes and so it's really fun to play with that And same thing with cucumbers, I use a lot of, or I grow a lot of heirloom cucumbers, and so they don't look like the typical green long cucumbers that you see. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of them will be brown and crackled, or um, one of my favorites is the Mexican sour gherkins, and those are tiny, they look like miniature watermelons. Um, I love dragon's egg cucumbers, which look like, um, they do kind of look like oversized eggs, and they're cream colored. Um, I love, uh, growing different types of hot and sweet peppers. Um, and I love anything purple, really. (laughs) I, I, I like to see a lot of color in the garden. So if it, if it comes in a purple or just some bizarre color, I have to put it in the garden, (laughs) you know, so green beans and like purple beans. Yes. Like golden snow peas. Yes. (laughs) Purple peppers, black peppers. I'm into all of that. (laughs) Anything but the conventional colors.
1: Yes. I I agree on most of that. Uh, Some reason we still tend to grow typical cucumbers and things like that because, you know, obviously they work, but and the um, the brown cucumber you were talking about and and some of the others do they say have the same kind of flavor as your typical cucumber or are they a little bit different i know the sour gherkins are a little different but i'm just curious from a taste perspective
2: well i wouldn't say it's so much the flavor that varies a lot you know like for the most part they're very um cucumbery melony you know part of that family but mm. it mostly comes down to the texture And like some are more seedy than others. Some have a thicker skin and some are seedless. And so I use them for different purposes, like some for pickling, some for raw eating.
1: Okay. I was wondering if they would all translate well for pickling or for raw eating or that kind of thing too. So, so about the purple edibles? What is (laughs) is that like more eggplants? You said purple peppers and purple beans. What other things would I not be thinking about that are purple?
2: Um, I love purple sprouting broccoli. I've got those started in the window right now. Um, Purple, uh, what are those things? Um, Purple, uh, I don't know how you say the name. They're peas, like blouse shawker peas. And I'm growing those right now. And they're meant to be soup peas, but I'm picking them young to use them like snow peas. Okay. Um, I love purple long beans, like yard long beans. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see, there's purple broccoli, purple cauliflower, which I've grown, tomatoes, purple kohlrabi, which is very fun. Uh, it looks like a little purple alien in the. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, purple carrots. Uh, And I grew an heirloom variety that also had purple-tinged carrot leaves. Oh, cool. Um, So, yeah, I'm constantly looking through seed catalogs and (laughs) marking all these very weird-looking vegetables that I can try to grow. Right. Um,
1: So, I guess, what other little-known edibles that other people um, might be interested in that you grow? I know you've cataloged a lot of them on your blog, um, but do you have any off the top of your head that you think people are, they may seem strange, but hey, you really need to try this. <laughs>
2: um, well, let's see. For this season, um, the well, the Mexican star gherkins are always a hit in my garden. I grow those almost every year just because I think that the flavor, like the slight tartness, Is different. You know, it's a cucumber, but it's like a lemony cucumber. Um, And I think the seeds are relatively easy to find and it's something that people would enjoy growing. And they tend to be a little bit more cold tolerant than other cucumbers. Mm -hmm. Um, I am also a fan of Asian greens, um, especially because they take to heat very well. And for zone 10b, sometimes it's hard to keep um, lettuce and kale and things like that going for a long time because they do bolt pretty quickly so i love mustard greens um like japanese mustard greens i love mizuna Mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty common across seed catalogs um i love red leaf amaranth which is different from the amaranth flowers. so it's not known for the seed the long seed pods that some people love about the flowers but this is um grown for the leaves that are Tinged with like a reddish purple, um, like color, right? Um, so those are some off the top of my head that I'm growing right now.
0: Uh,
2: <laughs> you, s- you seem to grow things better in 10b than I think,
1: or at least summer wise. I feel like you seem to be able to get things to live longer than I do, and I'm <laughs> in 9a, and I don't know if it's the climate. Like you're drier or the humidity here, just the heat just does in.
2: <laughs> I am actually in a microclimate because I live on the coast. So we're um, a little bit cooler uh, during the summer than typical 10B. So where I live is very different than 25 miles away in downtown. Okay. Um, and because of that, I, I have my own problems. You know, like, it's hard to keep uh, squash growing healthfully healthfully, mm-hmm. um, because it is prone to powdery mildew. Um, but, you know, I can keep things going longer just because it's a little bit cooler. And, you know, I do my part in mulching and um, I keep up with watering through <laughs> irrigation that's set on a timer. Um, so that's, you know, it's been a lot of trial and error, (laughs) you know, learning how to plant things together. So, um, you know, fava beans provide shade for my lettuce or like corn stalks will provide shade for everything else underneath it, things like that.
1: Right. So speaking of trial and error, I guess what has been some of your most successes, successful things to grow and what has really kind of given you the most trouble and you've kind of already given up on?
2: Um, let's see. Successful. Let's see. Yeah, you know, despite powdery mildew, squash is very successful for me. Well, I. I would imagine it's successful for everyone, right? Because everybody gets like a hundred right. squash for <laughs> yeah. one plant. they're like, I don't <laughs> know what <laughs> to do with the squash. It just keeps on going. So I love growing squash, especially winter squash, because I find them so interesting. And I love the fact that for some of the varieties that I've tried, um, you can eat them when they're immature, or you can let them keep going to the very end and then cure them for storage. Right. Um, so one of my favorites has always been zucchino rampicante because you can eat it young or you can cure it and eat it as a winter squash. Um, but the, it grows like gangbusters. I don't even do anything. <laughs> and it volunteers all over the garden. So it comes oh, wow. to a point, because I, I find that in our compost, sometimes the seeds don't fully break down. So we get lots of volunteer squash and lots of volunteer tomatoes. Yes. <laughs> I'm finding that too, so <laughs> and because we have such a large space and it's chaotic and it's not very designy, um I let them grow anywhere they want for the most part, so that's what gives the garden such a wild feel. <laughs> um, as far as edibles that have been hard for me to grow, um you know. I, Despite being in 10B, hot peppers are kind of hit or miss for me. You know, it takes a long time to germinate, so I end up always having to do those inside and putting the sea trays near my heater. Mm -hmm. Um, And for the most part, they do live year-round, but they, because we're a much cooler coastal weather, they die back a little bit in winter, and then will come back again in spring, summer. Okay. Um, You know, but sometimes they struggle. So...
1: (laughs) Yeah, I just peppers seem to thrive here, so it's hard for me to have to know that somebody has a problem has problems with peppers. So, (laughs) especially because you grow so much other things that I I'm envious of. So, (laughs) um, so you're also quite a traveler. Um, you guys always seem to be going somewhere interesting. How have you set your garden up for for that kind of lifestyle?
2: Well. Up until just a couple of years ago, we were hand watering the entire garden. Oh my. Goodness. And it would take hours. Wow. <laughs> so when we did travel back then, we had a very good friend who would house it for us, occasionally dog sit, and he would hand <laughs> water everything. Oh man. <laughs> Um, and it just got to be too much because then you know I started getting much busier with the blog Uh, my husband was not really into hand watering and it's very inconsistent you know because sometimes we would forget and we wouldn't know when something was watered the last time our schedules would be off so we finally put in drip irrigation and that has been amazing because now it's just kind of set and forget it and so that helps a lot Um before we take off on a very long trip, if it's like a week or more, then I'll go around the garden and make sure things are staked or pruned or harvested as needed. But for the most part, we leave the garden alone, you know, and and if we're gone for a long time, we'll always have a friend come over to bring in our mail. Um, and we let the friend, any friend harvest what they want while we're gone. Right. Okay.
1: Yeah, I just know my my own garden. If I even go for a long weekend away, it's like, wow, all this changed.
2: It was only three days. (laughs) Yeah, because you're not there to see these incremental changes. So it seems like it just grew overnight a lot of times. Right. (laughs) Which is kind of nice in some ways because I I tend to watch plants a lot. um, And I feel so disappointed because they're growing so slowly. But then if I take off for a weekend and come back, I'm like, whoa, it had a growth spurt. (laughs) It's like the, it's like the watched pot never boils and like a right. watch never grows. Right. <laughs> um, and you said yeah, chickens.
1: Uh, how long have you had the chickens? And I guess kind of talk a little bit about how you keep them and if there are um, any special kind of methods for, for keeping the chickens.
2: Well, we do have a small flock. Right now we're down to two chickens, but we started with three. Um, One of them, the Easter Egger, died of cancer a couple of years ago. That was pretty sad. Um, But we have two now, a Bard Rock and a Cochin. And they're they're like two peas in a pod. (laughs) They're so fun because they just follow each other around the yard all day and peck at things and squawk. Um, They are about, I think, four years old now. Uh, Just started laying again last week after their winter hiatus. Mm -hmm. Um, and they are very low maintenance as far as pets go. You know, like we consider them pets because they're just our egg layers. But you know, they hang out with us in the garden when we're working out there. The baby loves to pat them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they they're very social, so they will jump up on your lap and um, follow you around. And with them, it's it's very easy. We clean out their coop. Uh, once a week, um, I make my own feed for them and ferment it. So no, I, remember.
1: I remember you talking about that at one point in time. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so they get a pretty good diet. And then they're free to roam an area that's about uh, probably 2,000 or 3,000 square feet. That's sort of the no man's land of our yard that we haven't done anything with. It's where all of the volunteer tomatoes and a couple of our fruit trees live. Um, but we don't technically garden in that area. So that's for them to just uh, hang out in.
1: Okay. Um, do you think you'll be adding more chickens eventually or you kind of like the, the two chickens you have now?
2: I would love to add more chickens. Again, it's that thing of how much do I want to do while we're living here and how long will we be living here since we have added another family member. Right. Um, I would love to raise chickens from chicks actually. Um, And so that's something we're toying with that idea, you know, because our girls are getting a little bit older and they, their egg laying starts to um, diminish, you know, every year right now they're pretty good. Like we get enough eggs for the two of us, three of us to eat. Um, But eventually I think we'll want to add more to our flock just for the Yeah. I've, I've toyed with the idea of having, having
1: chickens as well, but I've I haven't brought myself to do it. <laughs> because of all the added extra to me it seems like a lot of extra work um and you know maybe it isn't yeah. as much of work as I think it sh- is actually is but
2: I think um, the, the initial setup is a lot of work um but they you know they're it's not like getting a dog or um a pet inside your home because they are very independent uh But you do have to keep in mind that when you go away, then you need a chicken sitter. (laughs) Right, right. So someone has to be there to collect the eggs and make sure that they're okay and feed them and water them and all that.
1: Um, So you mentioned your your additional family member um, and you had your daughter last year. How has? I mean, I know gardening for me was really hard that first year. How has gardening been for you during this last year? And you've also been doing other other mini adventures as well. So,
2: <laughs> well, my first year as a mother is probably not like most other people's. So it's hard for me to say how, um, how it changes because I had so much happen in the first year. You know, as soon as Gemma was born, then I started working on my second book, and because the book was about cooking while you're camping, then we had to camp. Also. Right. You know, so we traveled a lot with her, and mostly because of the traveling, not because of having a baby, um we sort of neglected the garden a bit in the summertime um, but looking back, I think that would have been the most ideal time to garden because she couldn't move. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> she would just lay in a bassinet all day, and it would be much easier now. she is crawling very quickly and can find the tiniest little things on the ground and like put that in her mouth and and it's just so curious because she's discovering she has hands and feet and they're reaching and kicking everything so having her out in the garden has been a lot of fun because I just love seeing her um play and discover new things but at the same time it's she makes a big mess, <laughs> Yeah, you know, so I kind of give her like all of my little tools, like trowels and things like that, rain gauge, whatever I can keep her occupied with while I do my work in the, on the raised beds. But once I'm done, then I have to like do a second round of cleanup just because of her. <laughs>
1: right. So. Yes. I totally understand it takes, it takes a while for them to focus and, and to realize, okay, no, nope, we can't pull that out. We can't put this in your mouth. Okay.
2: Yeah. And sometimes I just want to bring the playpen out and plop her in the playpen and confine her. But at the same time, I want her to get dirty and play in the soil and get used to that environment, you know, as mm-hmm. she So <laughs> gardening is, it's, it's hard right now. <laughs> yeah. I don't get as much done as I usually do in a day. So I have to break it down like a little bit at a time each day.
1: Right. Yeah. We use a playpen a few times. And then you know, a lot of times it was a stroller and it was about 10 or 15 minute increments. Okay. I can pull this. I can plant this. And all right. Time to move on to something else. So.
2: No, exactly. Because it's like, You know, every kid has such a short attention span. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, can this rain gauge occupy you for 10 minutes? Perfect. What next? Oh, how about this plastic pot? (laughs) Play with it for five minutes.
1: (laughs) Well, it will get easier. I'm slowly finding that out. So it'll be fun, too. I'm sure it'll be really fun. So.
2: Also right now, she, she's the Pisces, and so naturally she loves the water and gravitates toward water. Um, and we've had so much rain in California lately that we've been collecting some of it in various tubs and buckets to water the garden with right now. Mm-hmm. And so she's discovered all of them and will find you know a tub or a bucket filled with water and immediately crawl through it and just like, dump it out or <laughs> crawl <caught> into it. <laughs> oh my. Ever been wetter or dirtier than like just being in the garden, not even just out like hiking with us. <laughs> right.
1: Oh my goodness. Um well I guess you were talking about your second book and we could talk about that one first if you want. Um mm-hmm. because I am very curious about that. Um so you went camping all summer and you were coming up with recipes for camping. Can you, I guess, describe your new, your upcoming cookbook and, I guess, the process you went through to, uh, to write it?
2: Yes. Well, the second book is called The New Camp Cookbook, and it will come out on July 1st. And it actually came about by request of my blog readers. You know, after I finished my first book, I sort of put out a call on my blog, like, you know, if I were to write a second book, what would be the most interesting subject that you would be into? Um, And, you know, there were suggestions of different types of gardening books. um, But what people really gravitated toward was some kind of travel type of book, something that incorporated, like, camping tips and travel tips and people love to look at pictures and I post so much about my different adventures on my blog that that's, they were hoping to see that translate into a book somehow. Mm-hmm. And so the publisher and I decided to go ahead with a car camping cookbook that incorporated fresh ingredients similar to my first book. You know, so it's very um, vegetable focused, but it's all um, easy, accessible, Uses a standard set of cookware um, and limited pots and pans and dishes and utensils. And so when we set out to photograph and test the um, recipes for this book, we wanted to do them all on site just to make sure that the recipes worked. And, you know, honestly, it was a great excuse for us to get out and do what we love. <laughs> right, totally. Um, are they are they right
1: now the recipes are they for like short weekenders or do they have varying i guess ingredient lists for people who are you know they're going out for a three day weekend or they're going to go out for a week at Yosemite or whatever How, is that broken down like that
2: um well it's for all types of campers and car campers like this backpacking is such a different animal that i couldn 't include anything for that, and so we 're focused on people who um, drive up to a campsite, unpack their coolers, and are just there, whether it's for, like, a short weekend or a longer week. You know, there's recipes that fit every type of camper. So you have the very simple, quick, no cooking needed to the very long um, three-hour simmer in a Dutch oven type of recipe. Okay, I've included both of them, um, and the one thread that ties them all together is using the freshest ingredients possible and not so much canned goods and processed foods. So sort of similar to how someone might cook at home, but simplifying it for the outdoors. Right.
1: No, I'm definitely interested in this because, you know, we started camping a lot too, but we definitely rely on the more <laughs> easier cans, good kind of things um, for our camping excursions. So um, mostly for, for ease of, of time.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I totally understand that because we do the same thing, but I feel like if you know how easy it is, um, or if you plan ahead and can use something multiple times throughout your trip. Right. So that totally. ends up being easier and with less trash that you have to haul out. So, um,
1: Right. Or if you prep ahead before you go, everything ready, chop your vegetables, that kind of thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in my book, I give a lot of tips on preparation, you know, like how to pack a cooler, how to stock your pantry, how to choose recipes, um, or even like choose different meals that you're going to make based on what ingredients you're going to bring and how to make it all work for you instead of bringing like the whole refrigerator. Right. <laughs> um, so you work with your publisher
1: on the second book and coming up with, and the blog readers coming up with the idea um, your first book, how did you come up with that idea? Um, were you approached by a publisher or did you do the proposal process? Um, did you already have the idea about cooking? You wanted to do the CSA cookbook or I guess, how did that come to fruition?
2: Well, it turns out that my editor had been following my blog for a couple of years before he ever contacted me. And at that time I was starting a series of posts. That just crushed common foodness of what was edible and what was not edible, you know. And so one of the more popular ones was, um, are tomato leaves edible? And then I came up with, are carrot leaves edible? Um, can you eat broccoli leaves? Can you eat kale buds? You know. So I was really interested in letting people, making people more aware of these unconventional parts of vegetables that you can and should eat you know they're like vegetables that you never see in the supermarket you're likely not finding them at the farmer's market but you always get them when you're growing them um and i wanted to uh i i felt like you know um in conjunction with the whole no waste movement that's gaining momentum i also wanted to let people know you know like waste is not just uh not eating you know your carrots are like an ugly vegetable, but it's also utilizing this entire plant that we're growing that takes a long time to grow. So why not use everything? Like why not use all the broccoli leaves in addition to the broccoli head that we eat? Right. Um, So as a result of these posts, which were pretty popular, the editor emailed me and he uh, just asked straight out if I wanted to do a cookbook because I was posting a lot of recipes on my blog. And when it came down to what type of cookbook I wanted to do um, I thought that the uh, that whole concept of um, trying to strive for as little waste as possible in the kitchen and incorporating my gardening knowledge with um, everyday cooking would be a good topic would be a good timely topic you know we added the CSA aspect in there because um, one it was slightly different from like farmer's market um, cookbooks. We want to differentiate it somehow. And with CSA, you know, if you make friends with a farmer, a lot of times you can get these um, stranger ingredients, you know, in your box.
1: Right. And I have seen people post things on, you know, Twitter or Instagram and be like, Hey, this came in my CSA box. What is it? Yeah. Everybody answers that. So yeah, I do know that, Sometimes they get interesting vegetables uh, put in their boxes.
2: Because it'll be a kohlrabi, but it'll be the entire kohlrabi, like the bulb and the leaves. And some people don't know that you can eat the leaves or how would you cook the kohlrabi itself? You know, the cookbook helps you make use of your entire CSA box or your backyard harvest or what you find at the farmer's market or at the store, and I come up with Different ways that you can cook something for each vegetable. So, for kohlrabi, for instance, there's um, like kohlrabi fries. Uh, there's like a um, sauteed kohlrabi greens. So, there's different ways that you can use it. And I give a lot of substitutions. So, if you don't have, for example, kohlrabi greens, uh, I would suggest that you use chard or some other sturdy green. So that's right. what the whole book is about. So, how long did it take you to come up with all these recipes? Um, let's see the my publisher works on a fairly tight schedule so I from I mean I've, what I've talked to other authors they get an entire year to develop their recipes and it sounds so nice but with both of my books it was not like that Wow! Um, so each book I had well the first book I had a timeline of um, I believe it was three or four months and while I was developing and testing the recipes, it was all over winter, which is very difficult for a seasonal cookbook, even in California. <laughs> oh my goodness! So I went to so many different farmers markets and like grew so much of my own ingredients to be able to create the recipes in the dead of winter. Um, the second book because I just had a baby, uh, they extended it to like they gave me five months to finish the book. Um, and it's. Yeah, it's basically the whole time that I'm developing the recipes, our refrigerator is packed. Like there's, we cannot fit anything in there and we eat a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good part. I mean, (laughs) we eat a lot and we give away a lot of food. (laughs) Right.
1: No, I I mean, I've never, I'm not a huge person that cooks a lot of food. Um, I prefer baking, but coming up with all the recipes, like what kind of trial and error? I mean, did you make something and be like, Oh, this is horrible. Or how did you, do you have a kind of an idea and a feeling for what would work beforehand?
2: Um, Well, most of the recipes in both books come from meals that I've just made regularly over the years. And I've just refined them and tweaked them for the cookbooks. Okay. Um, A lot of it is just like for the camping cookbook. It's, based on um just how limited i am when i'm outdoors and uh what can i make with you know a can of this and like a head of lettuce or something like that um so i it's through a lot of experimentation on my own camping trips the csa cookbook is a collection of all kinds of recipes like um recipes that i've grown up with that are my family's recipes ones that i've made at home that are in my regular rotation. Some that I did come up with just for the cookbook itself. Um, some that I concocted out of necessity, you know, like how can you, what else can you make with zucchini? Cause you have a hundred of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a lot of it for the CSA cookbook uh, was inspired by my travels because even though, you know, cause it's all based on unconventional parts of vegetables and even though we might consider squash leaves to be unconventional, um, or uh, pepper leaves, for instance, those are common in other cultures. And it's what I've discovered just traveling the world. You know, whether I'm in Asia or Central America, I've learned that people cook with these parts that we're not familiar with. And so I've taken a lot of inspiration from um, you know, like Filipino cooking. They use pepper leaves for a soup and. Um, in Thai cooking, they use pumpkin leaves for their curries. Huh. So a lot of the recipes were inspired by those.
1: Huh. Um, and your CSA cookbook—is there any recipe in particular that's your favorite?
2: Uh, it changes by season. Um, it's hard to pick because I'm always like, I I get to be I get to be like in a. It depends on my mood, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> like. Lately, it's been kind of dreary and rainy here, and so I have really enjoyed um, the richer, warmer, more filling dishes, um, like the drunken pumpkin chili is one of my favorites. Okay. As well as the barley leek soup that uses carrot tops in it. Okay. Um, In the summer, you know, as the weather gets warmer, I really love making galettes, like tomato galettes, and I do different variations of that based on the one recipe I have in my book. And I make a lot of pizza because I love to grill pizza outside.
1: Oh, yeah, we like that too.
2: (laughs) So I'll use my pizza dough recipe and then um, throw whatever garden toppings I can on top of it.
1: (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) Um, So you've got two cookbooks under your belt. Do you have another one that you see down the pipeline or are you.
2: Possibly. I'm not sure. Like these are always, I always have ideas for a lot of different things and it just depends on what the publisher wants and what the market's looking like. And now that I've had two cookbooks, I feel like my next one should be garden related, but More. I'm not. Yeah. We'll see.
1: Well, if you could tell everybody where they could follow your adventures in your garden and, uh, and uh, keep up with you where to buy your <laughs> books
2: too. <laughs> <laughs> well, my books are the CSA cookbook and the new camp cookbook you can find them at any independent bookstore or major retailer like Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. Um, my blog is GardenBetty.com and you can find me on social media at GardenBetty.
1: Great. Well, thanks for coming on and chatting with me. I've, Like I said, I've been a follower of your blog for many years and I never would have guessed you've only been gardening seven years. <laughs> <laughs> so... Well thanks again and have have an, an awesome uh, awesome weekend or week, not the weekend. So
2: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for having me on the show. You're welcome. <laughs> bye. <laughs> bye bye.